Hey there, and welcome to the Boldly Engaged podcast, a United Way of Allen County production. United Way of Allen County exists to boldly impact critical community issues, and the four main priority areas we focus our work on include educational opportunities, food security, housing stability, and mental health access. We strive to provide comprehensive resources to our community so we can make Allen County a better place to work, play, and live. This podcast serves as a platform to highlight the changemakers in our community who are dedicated to making positive changes as they align with United Way's mission and our passion for taking bold action. The Boldly Engaged podcast is brought to you by the American Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations. The AFL-CIO and the United Way share a common vision of prosperous, inclusive, and diverse communities where every member has access to a quality public education, fair wages, good jobs, and affordable and quality health care. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Bree. And I'm Laurel. And we're your co-hosts for the second episode of the Boldly Engaged podcast. We hope you enjoyed our first episode last month uh, where we talked with Lori about Over the Edge, and we're back with more content to highlight changemakers in our community today. Yeah, and but... Real quick, before we get started today, uh, we do want to offer a disclaimer to our listeners that we will be discussing domestic abuse awareness on the show today. And as that may be a sensitive topic, uh, we just wanted to offer a heads up ahead of time before we dive into that topic. Trigger alert. Yes, Yes, exactly, exactly. So today we have with us Paula Hughes-Shu. She is the CEO of the YWCA. Paula, how are you today? I am well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us today, this beautiful fall day. Absolutely. Paula, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up working as the CEO of the YW? Sure. Well, um, (laughs) that is a long story, uh, (laughs) as most are, as most worth telling are, Yes, absolutely. So uh, I grew up all over the continental U.S. My dad was career military, and we moved around a lot. And as a result of that, I am very adaptable and flexible. Those are two hallmarks of uh, my personal and professional life. But I'm also really invested in community because I didn't, because we moved so much, I didn't have a chance to invest in community Mm -hmm. growing up. Yeah. So that has become really important to me as uh, in my professional career, and I've done a lot of positions that lead me into that. Um, the defining things about me are that I am a wife to Larry. Uh, my husband is a middle school teacher at Northwood, Element, uh, Northwood Middle School, and uh, mom to Beal. My son is a sophomore at Miami of Ohio, just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, those are like the highlights of mm-hmm. my life. Um, but I've I've worked in a lot of different positions. I have worked in government. Uh, I served on our county council in Allen County for eight years. Okay. Uh, okay. I was the first full-time executive director of the Downtown Improvement District. Okay. I was a part of the founding of that in 1998. Excellent. Um, which is really fun to see a lot of things springing out of the ground oh, yeah. that yeah. we envisioned back then over 20 years ago. Um, uh, more recently... Uh, I have worked in private equity and corporate finance companies and done um, investing from all different kinds of sides. My husband says that I serve on boards as a hobby. I don't really have a lot of other hobbies. I serve on boards. I am on uh, five different community boards right now currently. Including United Including Way of Allen County. United Way of Allen County. Absolutely. I'm also on the State Board of Trustees for Ivy Tech, the community college. Amazing. I've yeah. been there for 11 years, which is 
a little astonishing to me. Uh, and I serve on their commu- their foundation board and the, uh, I attend the campus boards as well. Um, and I served on the YW board in the late 90s. Uh, I did that. I was in Leadership Fort Wayne in the class of 99. And when you go through Leadership Fort Wayne, which is a part of GFW now, mm-hmm. um, Greater Fort Wayne Inc., uh, you uh, get to pick a nonprofit that you want to work with. And I picked the YWCA back then, over 20 years ago, <laughs> served as an intern and then on that board for several years. Um, and right now, what is really important to me and the reason I'm working at the YWCA is because I just decided I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. I'll be 55 later this fall. And I want my work to be something where I can use my whole self. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. running the YWCA lets me use all of those skills that I accumulated with my MBA and with my work in the public sector and the private sector and use my heart as well. So yeah. this is the perfect blend of, of heart and head for yeah. me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So seeing as how you've kind of had a bunch of, of different, uh, you know, occupations throughout the years how how do you find that you like working in the nonprofit world now I will tell you that working in nonprofit is much more difficult than anybody gives it credit for. Really? Um, I I had this fascinating conversation with my son one year because his father and I are both CEOs of corporations. And he he said to me, I think he was a senior in high school at the time, and he's like, you know, I watch you and dad, and you work a lot harder than (laughs) he does. I mean, you're both very successful. Uh, His dad's company is super successful uh, in a family business that he has grown successfully. He's like, but you're just working a lot more hours. He's like, what's up with that? You're you're a nonprofit. Why are you doing that? And my answer is, again, it's much harder than anybody gives it credit for. In for profit, you have always have a direct connection. You either have you have some kind of product or service that you're selling directly to a consumer, whether it's another Mm -hmm. business or it's the end user, and then they pay you for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. In nonprofit, it's a three-way thing, right? We have this service that we're providing to people that desperately need it in the community, but we have to both provide the service and find somebody to pay us for providing that service. Right, yeah. So it's more of a triangle. Right, yeah. And yeah, that is the defining thing about nonprofit is it is super challenging. And again, I get to use my heart. Right. I, I don't have to make decisions that don't have some fundamental connection to how I feel about things mm-hmm. right uh, and I love that and that is worth it to me but darn I work my tail off yeah. on a regular basis yeah. <laughs> I think that's a that's a super important distinction between like the for-profit and the non-profit there there is there's always those extra steps that are involved and and it, it can be it can be really tough yeah. but it's so it so can important be incredibly rewarding yes well. absolutely. Absolutely. I, absolutely I love a good challenge yes, yes. Yes. So can you tell us maybe a little bit more about what the YWCA does for our community here in Allen County? Sure. I'll talk about the different realms of service because a lot of people don't recognize the the differences between the YWCA and the YMCA. Mm -hmm. Yes. We regularly are confused by people Mm -hmm. in this community, including our donors, where somebody might be trying to write a check to the YWCA, but they make it out to the YMCA, Mm -hmm. or they actually write it to the YW, but they mail it to the YM, or vice Mm -hmm. versa. We, we, We have good relationships back and forth. But my observation is the YWCAs, you know, we were founded here in Fort Wayne in 1894. We've been around for almost 130 years. And the YWs, there are 200 across the country, and we are very much responsive to what our community needs. Mm -hmm. It's it's not just about women and children. Our 
our mission is eliminating racism and empowering women. Mm -hmm. And in Fort Wayne, that has evolved through the years. Um, Currently, uh, our main lines of programming are serving domestic violence services, sexual assault services, substance abuse services, and racial justice services, kind of those four core elements. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that that come into those four main things. Yeah. So... Like we said, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the domestic uh, abuse because October is Domestic Abuse Awareness Month, and mm-hmm. so that's why we wanted to to you know pay a little bit more attention to that this month. But so, can you real quick before we dive into that, kind of give us an explanation of what constitutes domestic violence? Because mm-hmm. me, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I there's so much more to it than just physical violence. Mm-hmm. Am I right in that? Yes, absolutely. I, I did a little bit of research on your guys' website, and one thing that really stood out to me is it's listed that there's such thing as financial domestic violence. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I I was just going to pull up that website and share with you. There is a section on our website, and we just completely overhauled our website mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that we were intentional about when we did that was mapping out those definitions for people, because so yeah. what we have found, so domestic violence is kind of the, the very end of the continuum of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And one thing I say to people, and it makes sense when you hear it, like, so if you had a first date with somebody and they gave you a black eye, end of the date, right? Right, right. <laughs> you're, you're, done. you're done. But that is never how abuse starts. Right. It never starts like that. And it starts with all of these other things. And it's it's financial abuse. It's economic abuse. It is it can be religious abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be uh, emotional abuse, sexual assault. There's all these different things. And so this this time when we redid our website, we took time mapping out all of the things and putting out special examples of what is financial abuse. Financial abuse might be that uh, your partner monitors how much money you spend on lunch every week and you're only allowed to have so much money or they monitor some people will uh, restrict the checking account or restrict gas like they ensure that they're uh, an abused partner only has enough gas to get back and forth to work or only in a I mean just a very tightly controlled Mm -hmm. domestic abuse is always about power and control and it starts with manipulation Mm -hmm. and it might be so like in a scenario might be um, oh, oh, honey, um, you know how tight our money is. We're just going to we're going to be really careful about how much gas we put into your car because we want to we want to make sure that we have enough money for other things. Right. Now, those other things might be that partner's pornography habit. Mm-hmm. It might be a gambling addiction. It might be something else. But but the, the point is that they're unnaturally restricting and it's not done on a level playing field it's where two partners don't feel like equals Mm -hmm. and I I should be clear I'm using examples that are about um, intimate partner relationships but domestic abuse can be familial abuse as well right you know it could be um, siblings it can be aunts uncles Um, it it, it happens on all different kinds of levels and we take care of people on all different kinds Mm -hmm. of levels right Wow. Well, thank you so much for elaborating on that a little bit. I thought that was really, really interesting and also really important to make Mm -hmm. those distinctions that, you know, when we're talking about domestic abuse, we're not just talking about physicality. You know, there are so many more levels to it than that. And that is so important to draw 
attention and, and to. And something that's important to understand about it as well is there's always a cycle to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mentioned, you know, if you got a black guy on your first date, that's the end of the relationship. Right, yeah. Or ho- hopefully. You would hope. That's, yes, right. yes. Right. But there's typically a tension builders. There's a honeymoon phase mm-hmm. and then a tension building phase and then the explosion. And then it goes back into it. Mm-hmm. But it's always about manipulation and power and control. And what we see is in that cycle, it repeats itself. So and and it tends to get a little more tight as a relationship goes on in length of time. So while the honeymoon phase might have been six months at the start, or it might have been even the full courtship maybe until a couple gets married. I mean, we have had actually recently a couple of clients that have come to us that they had no idea until they got married and their relationship changed on a dime Mm -hmm. when they got married. And all of a sudden, they didn't know the person they were married to. Right. And that is scary. And right. if you were doing that, Fort Wayne City of Churches, if you were doing that within a faith-based relationship, it's really tough to navigate. Right. And and because you, you want to work with this person, you made a lifetime bonding commitment, a covenant with that person, and all of a sudden you feel like you don't know them. Right. It, it, but it happens. And so that honeymoon phase, it could be a few months, it could be a year or longer in the first time, and then the tension starts ratcheting up. Right, mm-hmm. and then there's some kind of some some kind of argument or fight or something, and it may or not be uh, physical, but it does tend to work towards that eventually. Right, and and then there'll be the honeymoon phase again, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so hard to break away from mm-hmm. right. because there is that cycle and. And there's, you know, there's some of the, the terms are gaslighting, mm-hmm. uh, the narcissism that comes along with that, and and a build, breaking down of somebody's self-esteem. Those are all symptomatic of domestic abuse, uh, and and we, it is unfortunately common, and it is also unfortunately in our community becoming more and more extreme. Mm-hmm. We have seen, particularly since the pandemic, since 2020, right, yeah. a real increase both in the number of cases and in the severity of those cases. In lethality alone, we had 18 domestic violence homicides last year. Oh, my gosh. And one of the things my leader of the survivor services, which is what we call them within our agency, one of the things that she said is almost 100% of the time when you read about a murder-suicide in the paper or hear about it, it's domestic violence. Wow. And and what happened, the lethality that happens with that, we developed several years ago a lethality assessment protocol that we teach to police officers. Our case managers use it. Our shelter staff use it. And it's 10 questions that identifies if you check several of these questions, you are in a lethal situation whether you realize it or not. Oh, my goodness. And, and so we, we spread that as a tool for people to identify yeah. just how dangerous the relationship there is. That they might not in. even know. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. They don't, they're not necessarily putting the pieces together. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that, I mean, I would assume that from the abuser's point of view, they, they don't want them to put those pieces together. That's right. the whole point. Well, right. and, and we don't assume that um, the abuser is always conscious of what they're what doing. They're doing. They, yeah. are act, they are triggered themselves. Right. Uh, they many, many times have experienced trauma themselves. It's not an excuse right. for what they're doing, but it's the fact of the reality of the right. lives they're mm-hmm. leading, that they go into kind of a fugue state that right. leads them yeah. to behaving like this, and they're reacting to other things in their environment. And it's not right. It's not okay. But it, it that's why it becomes so systemic. Right, right. right. Well, and that's another super important distinction to make there too that that these people you know 
like you said, it's not an excuse. It's it doesn't make it a right thing. But they're also so, you know struggling with mm-hmm. their own traumas mm-hmm. and struggling with their own healing journey. And unfortunately, that's a part of why the victims. Um, have a hard time breaking away because mm-hmm. they love they're in this relationship because they love that person right they fell in love they entered into the relationship and all of a sudden this crazy stuff is happening mm-hmm. and they're like uh, should I be helping this person if I'm a good person do I help them do I stay do I it, it is just really the the national average is that it will take somebody seven times to completely break through the patterns like oh, that's why was. you cycle back through it and we see it a lot with repeat visits to our yeah. shelter mm-hmm. repeat clients with our community community-based services and and we just meet people where they're at yeah right. and we understand how tough that is right absolutely and you mentioned those 10 questions that you can you know give out to people to help don't them. ask me to say to give them I can't I, I do not have them memorized if you think you're in that no, situation no, no. call our shelter please <laughs> you but you did mention those 10 questions kind of to help you you know realize that you might be in one of those situations but you know what other kind of services and resources mm-hmm. might the YWCA provide for victims mm-hmm. of domestic abuse? Yeah, thank you for asking. We, we do a full spectrum of services, and we have been, this sounds terrible, but we've been in the domestic violence business since the early 70s. In the 70s, we partnered, we were partnered with the Community Foundation, which did a survey and determined that uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence was a major issue in our mm-hmm. community, and that's when the YWCA got in Fort Wayne, got involved in that. And so that full spectrum is everything from the preventative services. We have full-time educators that go are in all the public school systems and most of the private school systems. And way they do a multi, they do lots of different curriculum. My favorite and the one that's most topical for this is um, it's called Eyes Wide Open, and it is a teen dating violence awareness curriculum okay. that talks about what healthy relationships are and what they are not. And I, there's no school class in that. Oh um, there's no, and so many parents don't. You don't think about needing to teach that to right. your kids. Yeah. So we do, and we we go in all the classrooms and teach that on a regular basis. We we also, those educators do what we call DV 101, Domestic Violence 101, and we do that curriculum to businesses, to social service agencies, to government agencies working with clients that may be vulnerable, hospitals, um, all, anybody that will have us. Uh, we talk mm-hmm. about what are the hallmarks of domestic violence. Domestic violence has a bigger and bigger impact in workplaces. Yeah. Uh, so again, we're, we're working with all kinds of people, just training them. And as a preventative, here's what it is, here's how you can help. Um, we also have advocates that work with people who think they might be in an abusive relationship or family members who think they might have a family member that's being abused. Um, and Or if they've experienced sexual assault, we help them develop the number one thing 100% of our clients walk away from interaction with us with a safety plan. Mm-hmm. We want them to have just a basic thought, and they may not want to think about it, but mm-hmm. we kind of push them on that. All right, maybe it'll never happen, but if it does, how are you going to respond? You're prepared. So yeah. safety plan. 100% of our clients have a safety plan, and our advocates help them with that. Um, then we have therapists who are experts, specialists in domestic violence and um, sexual assault and and. They and the trauma that comes from those things, and they work with clients whether they've been in uh, a, a situation a week ago or 30 years ago. Right. Um, all those services are free to everybody in the community. Those are funded by grants. Um, we operate the domestic violence crisis shelter that we established 
almost 40 years ago. Uh, that's a haven for those seeking refuge from abusive relationships. And we also recognize the rising co-occurrence of domestic violence or domestic abuse and substance abuse. And mm-hmm. we uh, merged with an organization called Hope House back in 2016 and absorbed all of the Women's Bureau programs in 2018. So we have a full subacute CARF accredited substance abuse program that we offer for women seeking recovery and women that are in abusive relationships. Those two kind of tend to go together, a lot of coping skills there. So those are the main programs, as well as we have inpatient and outpatient domestic violence, sexual assault, and substance abuse services. Yeah, that's incredible. There's a lot of resources out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think that the you had mentioned that you go into the schools and teach like teens about, you know, what a healthy relationship looks like, what a not healthy relationship looks like. I just I think that's incredible. I think that's so important because a lot of kids that are out there, you know, they might not have the familial support at home. That's right. To teach them the difference between those things, especially if they've grown up in traumatic situations already. Mm -hmm. And so I think that those classes are so crucial to helping to break that cycle. So that's that's we get a lot of good feedback. It's good work. And we get a lot of good feedback from the students that we talk to and from the teachers that we're working with. For sure. So you mentioned um, crisis shelters. So here at United Way, we have what we call our priority seasons. Um, So essentially, we have our four strategic priorities of educational opportunities, food security, um, housing stability, and mental health access. Um, And we're currently in our housing stability priority, which is why we're here uh, talking to Paula today. So can you speak to us um, a little bit about the way that the YW is helping to address the housing stability priority in Allen County through your emergency shelter services. Sure, happy to. So our shelter was established in the 70s. We were the first first domestic violence crisis shelter in the state when we established it. Um, And I just for examples, our residence, our crisis shelter has a capacity of 66 beds. We see men, women, children, transgendered individuals, everybody Mm -hmm. that is facing any Mm -hmm. kind of domestic abuse crisis. Um, The sad news is that we are consistently over capacity. We typically have 70 to 75 people in those 66 beds. Um, That's in our current location. Uh, That means that we have turned conference rooms and meeting rooms into bedrooms. Every spare space is Mm -hmm. can become a bedroom if we need to because we will not turn somebody away particularly with the increase in lethality that we've seen we're seeing in our community some of the statistics are that in 2000 uh, last year 2022 we served clients we we did 27,204 bed nights which equates to 772 clients in our residential services. That is both domestic violence and substance abuse. In 2023, we, um, by the end of June, we had seen use of over 17,908 bed nights, which is actually a year-over-year 17% increase just from last year. Um, And that was 469 clients. Uh, The data is that it's typically about 55% adults and 45% children. Mm -hmm. We have added um, children's services. We have two full-time children's advocates that work with the kids. You want to talk about generational trauma. The things, that, that is what gets me every time uh-huh. is just what the kids that are coming through our shelter right. see yeah. and and the way the parents are struggling to cope with what they're going through and you know, when people walk in our door at the shelter 
they're not always their best selves, right? right? They are in a moment of crisis, which is why they're coming to us. Right. But unfortunately, that sometimes translates into just not great parenting. Right. Um, and so we're there to help them. We're there yeah. to help and the, both the parents and the kids. Uh, we just started this past year. We got a grant from the Lilly Foundation that helped expand our children's services. So we follow kids not just while they're in the shelter, but we can work with them after they leave our shelter. Um, we recognized when we were doing some research uh, last year, we started to realize that 85% of our clients in the shelter, we are their first interaction with social services. One of the side effects, if you will, of domestic violence, domestic abuse, is that it's an isolating disease. Mm -hmm. And I mean, abusers don't want people to know what's going on in their household. And victims, survivors are many times pretty ashamed of what's Mm -hmm. going on in their household. So they're not talking to anybody about it. So a lot of our work is connecting people to other services. Right. Um, So... It, yeah. I will say that kind of as a wrap up on that, a lot of people ask, how long do people stay in the crisis shelter? If it's a domestic violence situation, typically they're with us four to six weeks and intended to be short term. If they're with us for substance abuse recovery, that's actually much longer because it is that subacute medical right, right, shelter. Right. And that's a six to nine month stay. Okay. okay. Do you guys help with any type of services to help them find or, like, maintain stable housing after they've left you? Absolutely. We have, uh, again, two full-time housing advocates. We have a housing coordinator and a housing advocate that work with our clients um, trying to – it is not an easy problem to solve these Mm -hmm. days. Housing is a big issue, and it's a fundamental issue. And it has gotten so much more expensive everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. I mean, like, personally, I appreciate that the value of my home is rising. But for my clients, it's so hard to find appropriate housing for people and safe housing for people. safe. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And we have some... Um, we have some grants, and we work a lot and partner with other agencies to find that stable housing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's an excellent segue because we, United Way and the YWCA, are partner agencies, and uh, you were one of our grant recipients this last year. So, uh, yes, we you, were. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, how has the partnership with United Way um, kind of supported, you know, the YWCA in? in your endeavors and in your mission. Well, we are so grateful for that support. I mean, it is one of those fundamental elements of support. Um, we do we do so much with so little money, and that consistency of the United Way funding right. makes it possible to to stretch the dollars and to make the ends meet. Um, there's lot there's a long history of support for our domestic violence shelter, um, and some of the interesting things we've partnered. Uh, when I thought of partnerships with the United Way. I think back actually to 2020 when we partnered with United Way and founded the recovery site for the homeless population. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I know that not everybody remembers that era, but when the pandemic came through, we recognized pretty quickly, wow, like us, the YWCA had, um, we had clients that needed us a woman who was COVID positive, not symptomatic. The hospital sent her home, but her abuser had a flare up and, oh, no. and, and exploded. And my shelter staff called me. It was 7 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I will never forget it. Um, and they were like, we have this person that's COVID positive And what do we do with them? Because right. this is when yeah. it was just happening. Right. And I reached out to the United Way. And with their help and with Bright Point and Just Neighbors, um, we all came together and very quickly found funding. Um, United Way was part of it. Um, Allen County was part of it. I think the Lilly Foundation helped. 
and put together this funding that created a recovery site. We created a dedicated space where homeless population could quarantine while they were sick with COVID. It was amazing. It was an amazing partnership. And um, the United Way asked us to run it because we know how to run op- right. and operationally yeah. residential shelters, uh, and it, and so we did. And <laughs> it was it was just an amazing time, and I was so grateful for that partnership with United Way. It would right. not have happened in this community if not for the partnership with the United Way. Excellent. You were there when we need. You were there when the community needed. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Laurel and I, Laurel and I weren't with United Way at that point in time yet. So this is really incredible to hear that something like that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that just solidifies even more the, the work that Bree and I love to do. So it just, that, that is wonderful to hear and, and we appreciate that. So Paula, you have had an incredible career and, and you just have so much expertise in so many different areas. So if you could give us, Brie and I here, and anybody listening, one piece of advice that you have learned throughout your career, or one story you'd like to share, what what would that be? Um, I think the number one thing is don't let pride get in the way of getting a job done. Um, I've, I've had some really like heady positions where I've technically been a person of power and if you let that run away with you you're not going to get stuff done that you want to get done yeah um there's a great quote out there and i meant to look up who said it and i forgot before i walked in this room <laughs> but it's you know it you it doesn't you'll get more done when you don't care who gets the credit mm-hmm. right and i want to say that was it was either reagan or roosevelt uh, was one of our presidents um and I have it. I literally have it on a plaque on my desk, and I just uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Um, so somebody out there, Google it, please. Um, I'm going to right after I get out of here. But it, it's the truth. It's a yeah. fundamental truth. If you can put aside your ego and your pride and push towards what is right, right, no matter who gets credit for it, so much more will get done. And the end result is always more satisfying. Right. Always, yeah, always sure. more collaborative. And, um, you know, it's feeding an ego could be a full time job. Right. I'm just I'm done with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important, especially in nonprofit work Mm -hmm. where, you know, we are out here trying to deliver services, trying to help the community. And if you have a big ego, it's it's not going to be compatible in this line of work. So I think that's right. I think that's an excellent point. Absolutely. So we strongly encourage our listeners to continue to stay informed um, about what issues are prevalent here in our community and to get involved, whether that's through giving, advocating, or even volunteering. And here at United Way, we're working hard alongside partners like Paula and the YWCA to address these issues, and donations from the community are what make our work possible. So as we are wrapping up this episode, um, please consider to donate uh, to support United Way and our work with the link that will be in the show notes. Yes. And once again, Paula, just thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today and sharing a little bit about your experiences and your insight on something so important like domestic abuse awareness and how to find emergency shelters um i think that i think that we just had an excellent conversation yeah, today and thank you sure. so much I for feel coming like I on a lot yeah. yeah yeah and thank you for teaching us yeah. a little bit more yeah, too you know absolutely. i came i came into this episode i'd done my research i was like ah, i know everything about the ywca <laughs> nope sure don't so thank you so much for coming on and 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 teaching us. Yeah. That's that is what we're here to do. We're here to learn and we're here to highlight all of the amazing things that are going on in our community. And the YWCA is definitely one of those things. So thank, thank you. you very much. 
So now we are going to switch it over to President and CEO Rob Hayworth as he is going to uh, talk a little bit with our episode sponsor, uh, who is the UAW Local 2209. So Rob, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you, Bree and Paula. A special thank you for being here on our Boldly Engaged podcast. Your leadership and work uh, with the YWCA is essential for Allen County and essential for Northeast Indiana. So grateful, though, to have our sponsors for today's podcast, UAW 2209, and joining us are two members of their executive board, Amanda Meyer and Deanna Watson. Amanda and Deanna, thank you for being here and for your support of our podcast. And maybe we start off uh, with the two of you sharing a little history and insight regarding yourselves and UAW 2209. Thanks for having us. Um, Well, our local has been in Allen County since 1986. Um, Yep, almost 40 years That's actually how I came to be in Indiana. I was born in Wisconsin. My dad came down to start up Fort Wayne Assembly. And so we have members from all over, from Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, um, transfers from Texas and Tennessee. So um, we're we're a big melting pot from all over the place. Are you a Green Bay Packers fan? Yes. Uh, yes. I'm a huge Minnesota Viking fan. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll talk later. Okay, Go yeah. Lions. <laughs> oh, man. And then we, we have got a the Detroit. Whole North <laughs> Division, you know, right here. So uh, U- UAW 2209 has a long history with United Way. Maybe describe for our listeners why you collaborate with the United Way of Allen County on various projects. So I think. Um, our missions and our goals are the same. So I think it's important for people to understand a lot of people in the community when they hear UAW or they hear union, they think that we just fight for um, our members or that it's just about collective bargaining and negotiating contracts. But one of our core values um, within our union is to fight for all people. So I think that's something that you guys do in the United Way. And so because our missions align so well, it's easy for us to partner with you guys. Well, uh, your support and longstanding support, you know, helps us as we're helping our partner agencies think about housing stability, food insecurity, uh, mental health access. So we are just so greatly appreciative of that. But, but we, as much as United Way is thankful, there are other agencies throughout uh, Northeast Indiana and Ohio and Michigan. Uh, that you support other nonprofits. Maybe talk a little bit about that engagement. Oh boy, it's a long list. Um, we stay busy throughout the year with um, all types of events. We have um, Make a Wish, um, March of Dimes, uh, Making Strides, um, and those are a few of the large ones. And then we do things in the community. Um, like we help with Community Harvest Food Bank and other food banks in the area. Um, and coming up this weekend, we have a golf outing to benefit uh, Riley's Children's Hospital as well as Big Brothers Big Sisters. So it kind of runs the gamut. Well, 
thank you for your support of United Way. But on behalf of just nonprofits everywhere, thank you for the good work of investing in so many causes that are helping so many. Uh, you know, when you think about United Way, many times we think about trying to provide that that hand up. And as you know, the fastest way out of poverty is securing a good paying job with benefits. Maybe speak a little bit to 2209's support of the local economic development in our community. Yeah, so I think, um, like I said earlier, people understanding that part of our role as a union isn't just to fight for ourselves. It goes beyond that, and it goes out into the community in many different ways. Um, you know, anytime there's been any struggles in the community at different workplaces um, with, you know, our city workers or the Fort Wayne Philharmonic or anything, we're out there supporting them. We have their back because we're their neighbors and we're their coaches and um, we are invested in our community and we always will be. You know, probably that was very evident during the pandemic and the good work that uh, we were able to engage in with you in regards to meeting those needs. So. Uh, Amanda, Deanna, thank you for speaking with us today and sponsoring our podcast. Paula, again, thank you for the good work being done at the YWCA. And, and as always, uh, Bree, Laurel, thank you. Another great podcast. Please be looking for our next podcast uh, as it's coming to you in November. Home for the holidays as we... Uh, tackle the tough issue of housing stability. So uh, thank you, and as always, boldly engage.